Hey, and welcome to this podcast by Chestnut Mountain Church, located in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where our mission is to saturate the world by making disciples. We invite you to check out our website at chestnutmountain.org and follow us on social on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at chestnutmtn underscore to learn more about who we are. There are also video episodes located on our YouTube channel, along with other content not on this podcast. This episode features a sermon replay from Sunday's message. Let's take a listen. I hope today finds you in a different place in your prayer life than you were maybe this time last week. Because as we begin to walk through this series on prayer, we've we talked last week the purpose of prayer. And we simplified it. We, because if you know me, we have to kind of dumb it down for me to make this thing as simple as we possibly can. And so as we simplified prayer, talking about the purpose of prayer last week, the purpose of prayer is to simply fellowship with the one who loves you. That's it. It's for us to commune and talk with the one who loves us. But I think if, if we just think back on our last week and maybe that's what you left here with that burden was, okay, I'm gonna spend more time. I can almost guarantee you the distractions showed up because the enemy doesn't like when we pray. The enemy knows where our source is from. The enemy knows where the power lies. And so if the enemy can keep us from praying, he's gonna do everything he can in order to do that. But what we have to do is recognize who the enemy is and still approach Jesus the same way we would as if he weren't distracting. But what we're gonna do today is we're gonna look at the next, the next week in our, our series on prayer. And as we taught last week, the purpose of prayer, today we're gonna talk about the posture of prayer. And, and I wish I could say that today was one of those days that you're gonna leave here going, woo, yeah, let's go pray. This one's a hard one. The posture of prayer is a hard one because it goes against completely of who our flesh is and who we are. But you know, oftentimes when we talk about the posture, we all often think about the physical stature. You know, I talk about my son a lot of times, Brock, if y'all seen him, he's grown a lot in the last like six months to eight months. And he's still, his posture's terrible. Where's Brock at? Is he not in here? Where are you at? Okay, there he is. Just making sure he was in here. He just got called out in front of everybody because he wasn't, mm-hmm, mama, go find him. But I often see Brock a lot of times because he's like this. And you know, as a dad, I'm like, dude, man up. Like, you know, just roll your shoulders back. Look like a... And then all of a sudden when he does it and he's standing beside me, he gets like three inches taller. And I'm like, never mind, go back to the way you were. I like you hunched over better. But what we're gonna talk about today is not the physical posture of prayer. And even when we talk about the posture of prayer, you may even think physically the posture of prayer, because if you've been a prayer for any amount of time, you probably have a posture in which you often pray, or maybe you've, you've watched people pray. You know, there's people pray from all different, from all different ways. They, maybe you're that, that person that's on your knees, you know, from, from birth, we're taught to pray like this. You know, the fingers interlocked. It's more spiritual than this. So like we have to, we have to, all the pictures are like this. So this is how we have to pray, right? So this is the physical posture of prayer. Or maybe you're that one that, you know, you're the prayer that you stand to your feet with your hands stretched out. Have you ever been in a room with those who pace when they pray? 
you never know where they're gonna end up. They crying out to God and they all over the place and you're over here, you're this guy and you're just worried about getting stepped on. Or maybe you're that one that is myself where I find myself honestly in the best posture of prayer for me physically is to lay on my face before God because I'm a very distracted individual. And if I'm looking at the floor, I ain't distracted. Or for all you ladies out there, we'll, we'll mention this one. We got the old Tebow, right? Sorry, ladies, he's off the market. So just drop it, forget about it. Repent of your sins and turn back to the Lord, okay? But as we talk about the physical posture of prayer, that's not where we're going today. The posture of prayer we're gonna talk about today is something that's, that's totally different and it's the posture that God desires from us as we pray. Because truthfully, I don't believe our Father, our loving Father, really cares how physically we approach Him. I don't think He cares if we're on our face, if we're on our knees, if we're doing jumping jacks, if we're driving down the road. All the Father wants is what we talked about last year, and He simply wants His children to draw near. He doesn't care how we do it physically, but He just simply wants His children to draw near because we know that when we draw near, the Word promises that He will draw near to us. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to simply, the best way to, to recognize and identify the posture of prayer is let's look at a prayer. Let's look at a prayer. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at a prayer by King David in Psalms 51. And the prayer that we're going to look at, the context of this prayer is a prayer that, that, that David offers up to the Lord because, as a result of, of the prophet Nathan calling out King David's sin. And y'all all know the sad part is, is poor David, he's just identified with this one sin. Everybody knows David, everybody knows what he's done, everybody knows what he's guilty of. And the sad part is, that's the main thing we remember him for. But the prophet Nathan comes to him and calls out his sin. And if you don't know King David, while his men were away at war, were on the top of his castle, he looks down and he sees Bathsheba in the shower. And basically he is attracted to her. He calls for her. She comes, she lays with him. She ends up pregnant with his child. And now all of a sudden we've got a disaster. We got a mess. And so Nathan calls David out, calls him out of his sin. And so what we're going to look at today is even the calling out of sin in David's life, what did it do? It turned him to the Father. It turned him to God. And so we're gonna talk about and unpack that a little bit more. But I want you to look at, at Psalms chapter 51. And we're just gonna start out just by simply reading verse one. Because I want you to take note of how this prayer begins. Psalms chapter 51, verse one. David says, be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness." According to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions. Why I wanna pause there is because this is exactly what we talked about last week. We talked about the fact that a child of God should desire to be in the presence of God because we know the love that the Father has for us. We understand his love. And who doesn't wanna be around somebody who loves you? That's the heart behind prayer, is to be in the presence of the one that you know loves you. And so when David draws near to God, he believes that God's gonna draw near to him. But the interesting thing is, is look how David starts out his prayer. It's something that we often see. He starts out his prayer by acknowledging who God is. He's saying, God, you are a God of love and you are a God of compassion. 
And so the purpose of this is we're going to see, and we're going to unpack that in just a minute, but there's a lot of meaning behind David starting out the prayer by acknowledging who God is. But he starts out, how many times have you ever prayed and not asked for something? Have you ever tried to do that? Because we're accustomed that when we pray, the purpose of prayer is to make sure we've got to come and offer our list to God so that God performs what we want him to perform. Have you ever prayed and simply all you did was acknowledge who God is? Have you ever prayed just to simply acknowledge God of his love, his compassion, all of the attributes that we know about God? And so what we're gonna see today is that that is exactly how David starts his prayer. And what's interesting is this is the very way that Jesus taught his disciples how to pray. Now I wanna take a, a, a full time out if you're a basketball coach. We're gonna take a full time out here and look, have a side note about the importance of prayer. Because as I mentioned just a moment ago to the disciples, what was the one thing they asked Jesus to teach them? They asked Jesus to teach them how to pray. Now keep in mind, these dudes have walked hand in hand with Jesus. They've heard him preach. They've heard him teach. They've seen him perform miracles. They've seen all of the ministries. They've seen all of the ministry that he's done. But the one thing they say is, we've seen it all, Jesus, but what I want you to do is I want you to teach us, teach us how to pray. I don't know about you, but I'm probably not gonna ask that. If I'm walking with Jesus and I've seen him spit in the dirt and make somebody see, <laughs> teach me that one. I wanna be taught something miraculous, but what these disciples understood is that even the son of God, when he drew near to the father, the father drew near to him. That even the son of God, before he even attempted to do the work of his father, he knew that he better ask for the power of his father. And so as they realized that everything Jesus did, it all started with prayer. It was all empowered through prayer. And so this is the very reason that they ask Jesus, hey, we've seen it all, but please, please teach us how to pray. Please teach us how to pray. There's a quote that I shared last week, and I can't remember if I shared it in this one or the nine o'clock, but I shared it in one and I forgot to in the other one, so I'm gonna share it again because it actually fits better this week. But it comes from a book that I was reading, and Dr. J.H. Jowett said this. He said, I would rather teach one man to pray than 10 to preach. I'd rather teach one man to pray than 10 to preach. I think there's something to that. Because a man can stand and preach all day long, but if the spirit of God is not in it, I don't wanna be a part of it. I don't wanna be a part of it. And so as Jesus is teaching, he begins to teach his disciples how to pray. We all know how it starts. We often hear of the Lord's Prayer and we've often talked about the Lord's Prayer we, and we could all probably stand, even if you've never been in church, you can probably stand and recite the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. The CSB, it says, holy is your name. But if you see the similarities of even the way that Jesus is teaching the disciples to, to pray, it's exactly how David started out his prayer. 
acknowledging the attributes of God, talking about all and who God is. Because I want you to hear tonight when you go home and pray or you pray in just a moment, don't feel like you have to start out, oh, our Father, what heart in heaven. This model, notice I said model, is the outline that Jesus is teaching us how to pray. He's not wanting us just to recite it. He's saying, here's the outline of how I want you to pray. And I think if it works for Jesus, it's gonna work for me. So when we begin to pray, I would challenge all of us, don't you even talk to God until you're finished talking about his greatness and his glory and his beauty and his splendor. Because as we approach the throne of God and we call out his attributes, keep in mind, we're not having to remind God of who he is. He's not sitting up there going, oh, I'm having an identity crisis. Praise God, Brian showed up and told me everything that I am. No, we are reminding ourselves of who God is. But the beauty of that is the more we spend time reminding ourselves of who God is, we quickly realize who we are not. And so although we may start our prayer out screaming and yelling at God, the more we talk about his power, the more we realize all of his attributes, what we find out is that all of a sudden begins to take us to a place that is lower because we're positioning God in a place that is rightfully his. And that's higher than us. And that's higher than we are. But this premise of, of acknowledging God for who he is helps us realize who we are not was really kind of the foundation as to how it all began when, when man began to call out to God. The first time that man cried out to God. I want you to turn to Genesis chapter four. Genesis chapter four. I wanna read just one verse to you and then we'll kind of unpack it and help us to better see what's going on here and what the purpose of this is. But in Genesis chapter four, keep in mind where this is gonna take place is this is right after um, Cain has killed Abel. If you know, that was Adam and Eve's boys and, and we all know the, 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 the disaster that happened there. And as far as we know that this is the first death, this is the first time somebody's physical body has, has ended or their physical life has ended on earth. And so what we see here is in verse 25, it says, Adam had relations with his wife again and she gave birth to a son. And she named him Seth. For she said, God has appointed to me another offspring in the place of Abel. For Cain killed him. And so as we mentioned just a moment ago, that when Abel dies, keep in mind that the Adam and Eve, they've, they've heard God's warning against death. They've heard God talk about death, but they've never experienced or, or seen life come to an end. I always laugh because a lot of scholars will talk about when, when Noah built the ark and they were told that the earth was gonna flood and that it was gonna rain for days and he, so he's gotta build this boat and a lot of believers or a lot of scholars believe that it never, never rained. So you talk about the faith in building a boat of something they've never seen. And so here in the same situation, Adam and Eve, they've heard about death, but they've never experienced death. And now all of a sudden, God allows her to come pregnant again. They give birth to Seth. And then we'll go into verse, the first part of verse 26 to see what happens next. To Seth, the new son of Adam and Eve, 
To him also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. I want you to stop right there. Because when we look back in the Old Testament, we often see that when a name was given, there was weight to that name. There was a meaning behind that name. That name stood for something. It's very interesting to point out that the name of Enosh stood for the phrase weak and frail. Meaning that this child represented a human race that was weak and frail. And so as a result of the death of Abel, now all of a sudden what's been exposed is the powerlessness of man. Because in just a moment, men and women have realized, hey, we've heard about death, but what we've learned about it right now is I have no power over death. There's nothing I can do to stop it. And so when it's God's timing, God's gonna do what only God does. I can't do anything. We can give medication. We can do all kinds of treatments. But at the end of the day, there's nothing that mankind can do to stop death. And all of a sudden, Adam and Eve and Seth, they all realize this. And so they name their child Enosh because it's acknowledging that man is weak and frail, that we are powerless apart from God. And so when we hear that, we hear, look what happens next. Then, men began to call upon the name of the Lord. What happened when man realized that they were powerless? They called out to the Lord. What happened when they realized that it was not in their control? What happened when they realized they had no, no, they had no authority over it? It turned them to a place where they acknowledged the Lord, and they called out to him. Now, what we see is that this happens a lot of times in scriptures. And so this, this account here was just the beginning of exposing the powerlessness of man in an attempt to get man to turn to the Father. Several passages that I wanna read, we're not gonna turn to them, they're gonna pop up on the screen but it exemplifies that of what we're talking about. Second Chronicles chapter 13, verse 14. It says, when Judah turned around, behold, they were attacked from both the front and the rear. So they cried to the Lord and the priest blew their trumpets. Chapter 14, verse 11. Then Asa called to the Lord, his God, and said, Lord, there is no one beside you to help me in this battle between the powerful and those who have no strength. So help us, O Lord, our God, for we trust in you. Chapter 20, verse 12. Our God, will you not judge them? For we are, there's the word, powerless before this great multitude are coming against us. Nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Exodus chapter 14, verse 10. As Pharaoh drew near, the sons of Israel looked and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them and they became very frightened. So as a result of them being frightened, the sons of Israel did what? They cried out to the Lord. Judges chapter three, verse nine, the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord. So every hardship Everything that we've just read about, everything, every account that we just shared with you as a result of a disastrous situation, what were they forced to do? Turn to the Lord. 
because things were difficult, because things were hard, because things were out of their control. They had nowhere else to turn. So what did they do? They cried out to the Lord. They were acknowledging now who he was all the while realizing who they are not. We have no power over the enemy who's attacking us from all directions. We have no power over our circumstances. We fought and we fought and we fought and nothing we can do is changing anything. So therefore, what we're gonna do from now on is God help us. God help us. But you know, here's the hard truth. And this is the part I don't know the answer to. I wish I did. But in all of our lives, God desires the fellowship of his children so much that he will allow very difficult circumstances to show up in life because he wants us to turn to him, because he wants us to fellowship with him. Now, look, I don't know the whys, and there's things that honestly, and look, we're just gonna, we're just gonna lay it all out there this morning. I get mad at God. Because I'm like, God, I would have turned to you otherwise. Why this? Why did it take this? I don't know. But God will allow circumstances in our life so that we as his children will depend upon him. So that we will turn to him. There's a quote that's been passed down over the years and, and I don't even know if it's an accurate quote so I'm just gonna sort of say it's, yeah, that's not mine, but I guess I've paraphrased it now. But sometimes he will take us to places where he is all we have so we will discover that he is all we need. Sometimes he will allow us to go to places where he is all we have with the hope that he is all we will need. And that's exactly what's happened in David's life. What we're gonna see is, is that David has made an attempt to make everything better. David's made an attempt to make things go away. But David's tired of trying. And so he's forced with nowhere to go but to God. He's saying, God, I can't do this anymore. So as a result of I can't do it anymore, coming to you because you love me and you have compassion. And so in Psalms 51, we hear the desperation of David. We hear him crying out to God to do the very thing that he can't in and of himself do. Psalms 51 verse two. David cries out, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Verse seven, he says, purify me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. He's crying out here. He's saying, God, I need you to cleanse me. God, I need you to make me clean. God, I need you to forgive me because I'm exhausting myself trying to make my mess go away trying to make my mess disappear. God, I'm trying to do all of these things to make it better and it's not working. 
And then all of a sudden in verse nine, we see that he cries out to God and he asks God to do something that he can't do. He says, hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. He's asking God, God, I need you to hide this sin from your face. I need you to blot out what I've done. I need you to blot out my iniquities. And what we discover in the studying of David and seeing what David has been doing up to this point, David's been doing the very thing that he's asking God to do now. God, I need you to hide this from your face because what we realize is that up to this point, David's been doing everything he can to hide this from the face of God. If you know the story at all, he's, he's continually trying to cover this sin up. David's trying to make his mess go away for lack of better words. And so he goes through a series of, of steps trying to, to make this happen. And what we find out is it hit one dead end after another dead end. First thing he does, he says, okay, while my men are at war, I'm gonna call for a Uriah who is Bathsheba's husband and I'm gonna send him home for a night of a honeymoon and let them just spend the night together. Then all of a sudden she'll get pregnant and this thing will go away. So Uriah, in respect for his men who are fighting, goes and he sits at the front door of the house and doesn't enter because he doesn't feel right about, you know, while his men are fighting. Tip your hat to that fella. And then all of a sudden, that doesn't work. So now, so now David says, you know what? I can get him drunk and then he won't know what he's doing and he'll go on and do it anyway. Well, man, that failed too. So then he goes on to try to cover it up one more step and he says, you know what, I'm gonna send Uriah to the front line and if many of you know, that was what brought forth his death. But what ended up happening is that in all of David's effort to make things go away, to make things better, he found himself more miserable. He found himself making more messes, if you would. You know, I wonder how many of us can relate to David. How many of us that we get caught up in the religiosity of, of our faith that we think, hey, well, I'm living in this sin or I know I've messed up or I know I've done this, so I'm gonna counteract that and I'm gonna do some good things. So you know what, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go to church today. Because maybe if I go to church, God will be pleased that I've gone to church and he'll forget about what I did yesterday. Or maybe we say, hey, you know what? Instead of listening to country music today, I'm gonna turn it on the fish. That's really gonna be pleasing to the Lord. <laughs> or maybe you think, okay, well, what good deeds can I do today? What can I do to counteract what I've done? And the sad part is, is we treat God the very same way that I used to treat my mom as a child. And what I mean by that is my mom loved going to the malls. I have a younger brother who's three and a half years younger than me. Our worst nightmare is to go to the mall with my mom. And for years we would go to what I now know as belt. I always thought it was belts, B-E-L-T-S. Didn't even know how I was pronouncing it. But as a child, I despised being there. So we ended up hiding in, hiding in the clothes racks. We ended up crawling on the shelves. We ended up in fights. And so my mom would then take and threaten us from an inch of our life. 
when you get home, I'm going to beat you till you can't sit down. So in my mind, as a 12, 13-year-old, all of a sudden, I go into fix mode. I'm like, okay, we're going to be here another 30 minutes. It's going to take us 20 minutes to get home. So that means I've got about 50 minutes to counteract this threat that my mom's just thrown at me. And so for the next 50 minutes, I was a saint. Mommy, I love you. Mom, do you want me to carry that basket for you? I did everything just praying that by the time I got home that she forgot about the sin that I committed in the department store. But the sad reality is this is the exact same way we treat God. We fall back into sin. We don't love the way God has called us to love. And so what we then do is we put our super spiritual hat on and we try to do super spiritual things to cover up this disgusting sin in our life. Stop trying. It doesn't work. That's what David's trying to do. David's saying, hey, if I can do this, if I can do this, if I can do this, it'll just be hidden from the face of God and then I don't have to worry about it anymore. But because of Nathan calling this out, David says, oh my gosh, what I'm doing is not working and I'm miserable. You know, there's some of you that are here this morning, honestly, trying to make yourself feel better about what you did last night. Did you hear me? Some of you were here this morning trying to make yourself feel better about what you did last night. That's exactly what David was doing. He was attempting to counteract what he had done and what he was guilty of. All David wanted was to be restored and he's tried everything. He wanted his joy back and he's trying everything. In verse eight, we read that. He says, make me to hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. He's saying, God, I'm ready to walk in freedom again. God, I'm ready to experience your joy again because nothing I'm doing is working. And as we look at the life of David, we see that as a result of his sin and his lack of fellowship with God, that he's been affected in every way. He's been affected emotionally, spiritually, physically because of his sin and because of his lack of fellowship with God. He's so miserable that he even compares it to the bones in his body being crushed. He's saying, I am so miserable at what I'm trying to do, trying to restore my joy. And I find myself just hurting more and more and more. And he compares it to all of the bones in his body being crushed. And he says, God, I'm tired of hurting like this. I'm ready for you to do what only you can do because I can't do it anymore. I'm tired of trying. Because now what we've seen is David's carrying so much worry and anxiety of his past. He can't even walk in the freedom of, of who God is. You know, Philippians chapter four, we read that last week, verse six, where paraphrase Paul tells us to be anxious for nothing and pray for everything. One of the scholars that I studied this week, he said, you know, Paul kind of had it backwards. He said, because what, or not Paul, but he said, David kind of had it backwards instead of, Instead of praying about everything and being anxious about nothing, he was anxious about everything and prayed about nothing. 
He just carried the weight of it. He just carried the worry of all that he had done. When again, the father just says, hey, don't carry that. Draw near to me and let me carry it for you. Draw near to me and let me carry it for you. And so David's finally hit rock bottom. He's finally to the place. He says, I'm, I can't do this anymore. And then in verse 12, we see that he calls out and he asks God, he asks God to do what he can't do for himself. He says in verse 12, restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. He's saying, please God, restore my joy. Maybe that's what somebody's simple prayer needs to be in this room today. Is God, I just need you to restore my joy. God, I'm tired of trying to fix everything. And God, I just want you to do what I can't do for myself. I want you to restore my joy. And then I, what I love is what he says next. Because if you know me, you know I kind of like transparency. He goes on to say, and sustain me with a willing spirit. He's saying, God, I need a willing spirit, but I need you to give it to me. God, I need you to give me the desire to be obedient. God, I need you to give me the desire to be willing to do whatever it is that you ask me to do. God, I need your help to be obedient. God, I need your help to worship. Because God, right now, because of my circumstances, because of my life, I don't have it. I don't feel like doing it. And the truth of the matter is, is there's probably a lot of people that are sitting in this room that you don't feel like being here. I would have a show of hands, but that would really get awkward for everybody. But that's where David's at. He's saying, God, I, I don't even have a willing spirit. So God, I'm gonna have to depend on you for that. But then look at what he says in verse 15 and 16. Oh Lord, open my lips that my mouth may declare your praise for you do not delight in the sacrifice. Otherwise I would give it. What David is saying there, he's saying, God, I wanna praise you, but my lips don't even wanna praise you. So God, if I'm gonna offer praise up, if I'm gonna offer worship up, God, you're gonna have to open my mouth for me because I don't feel like it. I'm mad at you. I'm angry with you. I'm frustrated with you. And so God, I don't wanna praise you right now, but if you want me to praise you, number one, you're gonna have to give me a willing heart. And number two, you're gonna have to open my lips because I don't wanna do it. Because I don't want to do it. And there again, I wonder how many of us in the room can relate to that. God, I just don't even feel like opening my lips. God, I know I'm supposed to sing you're good, but right now I don't even know if I believe you're good. So God, because I don't want to, you're gonna have to open my lips for me. And then as he says there, he says, when he talks about the sacrifice, 
You do not delight in a sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. He's saying, God, I know that if I just stand and I sing the most beautiful song in the world, if I sing in my own power, if I worship you in my own power and I don't really mean it, God, you don't accept it anyway. So God would rather you sit there, if you don't feel like it, keep your mouth shut and just say, God, I don't feel like it. God, you gotta open my lips for me. Instead of just jumping through the hoops to play church, well, I've got to raise my hand because this person beside me raised my hand. I've got to go down and pray because that person beside me went down and prayed. That's not the sacrifice that God wants. God wants the sacrifice that comes from a place of humility and dependency. Because you see, that's exactly where David's at. He says, Look, I'm tired of going through the motions. Up to this point, I've tried to fix everything. I've tried to make things go away. But God, today, all the things that I've tried to do, in this prayer in Psalms 51, we see that David cries out, God, I need you to cover my sin. God, I need you just to blot it out. God, I need you to restore my joy. God, I need you to give me a willing heart. And God, I even... I need you to help me open my mouth. Because right now I just don't feel like it. Can I invite you this morning to be that real with God? If you're mad at God, tell him you're mad at him. He can put his big boy britches on. He can take it. Because you know what? In his heart, mission accomplished. Because even when you communicate with him that you're frustrated, that you're hurting, that you're broken, guess what you're also doing? You're fellowshipping with the Father. And so now in your state of struggle, in your state of being uncomfortable, now he can become comfort. Now as you approach him with being anxious, guess what he becomes? He becomes peace because of what he wants and he desires is the fellowship of his children. And in some cases, very terrible circumstances are the thing that drive us there. There's a, there's a reason. I've, I've shared this before, but September 11th, what happened the Sunday following it? Probably every church in our country was full. You know why? Same as the Old Testament. They faced a desperate situation. So nobody had anywhere else to turn. So they said, God, we need you to fix this. God, we need your help because this is out of our control. And so with all of that being said, looking at this prayer of David, examining our own life through these lenses, we finally land at what the posture of prayer is really about in verse 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. So the posture of prayer 
is simply a heart of humility and a heart of full dependency. And for us as humans, that's hard to do. Because you know what we're all guilty of? I need to quit putting y'all in my circle. What I'm guilty of, I'm guilty y'all by association. I'm very guilty of answering my own prayers or trying to. I'll pray for things and I'll say, God, I fully trust you. God, I'm turning this over to you. I'm wiping my hands of this. But all of a sudden, when God doesn't perform in the timing in which I want him to perform, guess what Brian does? Well, God's not fixing it, so I better. Can I tell you that's something that I've just recently experienced? There's some things going on in my life that I've prayed for for a very, very long time. And God hasn't performed as quickly as I wanted God to perform. And so in that, I try to fix things. And what happens when we often try to fix things? <laughs> we make it worse. But just up to the last several weeks, I'm trying to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and I'm not doing anything until the Spirit of God leads me, until the Spirit of God teaches me what to do. And can I tell you, church, I'm right now currently as a 45-year-old man walking in more freedom right now than I ever have because I've realized, you know what, God, I'm trusting you. God, I'm gonna try to stop fixing it. God, I'm gonna keep praying. And as your Holy Spirit leads me, I'll do whatever it is that you ask of me, but until you tell me, till you ask me to do something, God, I'm just gonna keep acknowledging you and I'm gonna trust you. And that's hard to do because we want it now. We want it to happen yesterday. But I can tell you when you pray about it and you just sit it at the feet of Jesus, you can walk away. And there's freedom in that. There's joy in that. I can never restore that joy trying to make it happen in my timing. But when I place it at the feet of Jesus, all of a sudden, guess what? The Spirit of God says, thank you, my child, for trusting me as your father. And I find joy. So prayer, the posture of prayer is simply being fully fully dependent upon God for everything. That sounds so easy to say, but yet so, so hard to do. And so as the circumstances arrive in your life, as things get difficult in your life, just keep in mind that God wants to use this to remind you of who he is all the while reminding you of who you're not. You know, I know as a dad, one of the things that makes me happier than anything is when my kids ask for my help to teach them something, to show them something. Because they're trusting me 
They're acknowledging that I know. And by George as a dad, I'm gonna fake it till I make it even if I don't know. I'm gonna say, I gotta go to the bathroom. I get on YouTube real quick. Well, here's how you do it. I've been doing this for years. But there's nothing that makes a daddy's heart more joyful than when my child depends on me. How much more joy and how much happiness that make the Father, Almighty God, when you as his children become fully dependent upon him to do what you can't do. Church, that's the posture of prayer. I don't wanna be a part of a church that we can accomplish things in our power. Because truthfully, if we sang all the right songs, we can get up and preach some, people are still gonna come. But I wanna be a part of something bigger, something that only God can get credit for. And the only way that we tap into that is say, God, we don't have a clue what we're doing, but we're gonna crawl up in your lap and let you teach, let you show, let you direct. And then when we sit back and people are saying, how is it that that's going on at Chestnut Mountain Church? I don't know, just God. Because we ain't that smart to pull that off. But that's what God desires of his children. is for us to be fully dependent upon himself, dependent upon him. You know, there's some of you that are probably in the room today. You're probably trying to acquire your own salvation through how good you are. You've probably started maybe coming to church Maybe you're reading your Bible a little bit. You're also listening to the fish. You're trying to stop doing this. You're trying to stop doing that because you're just simply trying to save yourself. Can I tell you this morning, please stop trying. Please stop trying because as you try, you're going to exhaust yourself. And so if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, draw near to him and he will draw near to you. That's the purpose of prayer. Because he desires to fellowship with his children. But maybe as a child of God today, you need to be reminded of what the posture of prayer is. And if I can encourage you to do anything today, start it out by acknowledging him who he is. Acknowledge him of all of his attributes. Acknowledge what he's done for you. Acknowledge who he's proved himself to be in your life. And as you do that, you lift him up and therefore you lower yourself. Because God desires that heart of humility. He desires that heart of, of desperation and dependency. And so this morning when we talk about prayer, here, here, here's it in a nutshell. Prayer is the spreading out of our helplessness and the helplessness of others before God. Prayer is the spreading out of our helplessness and the helplessness of others before God. You know, I don't know where you're at this morning. If you're not a child of God, I trust that the Spirit of God is inviting you to become one. 
And I trust that you will call on the name of the Lord today. That you'll stop trying to save yourself. And you ask God to do what you can't do. Or maybe today you need to, you need to stop trying to answer your own prayers. You know, maybe you're trying to resolve a relationship. And maybe when God doesn't act the way you want him to act, you're that one that will passively post things on Facebook, trying to make a point. Quit. Just trust him. I was talking to someone just a moment ago and they shared with me, they said, uh, oh my God, did you see what I put on Facebook? I said, no, I didn't. I said, matter of fact, I've mentioned that. It's not even in my notes. And she said, I'm guilty of that. I posted it on Facebook and I posted it hoping somebody would see it. She said, I just gotta let that go, don't I? I said, yes, ma'am, you do. Yes, ma'am, you do. Stop trying to answer your own prayer. When you place it at the feet of Jesus, he never intended you to pick it back up. I remember years and years and years ago, Will Ledford was in my student ministry. I just scared you to death, didn't I? He was, I think, dozing off. And he went, oh, I heard my name. Yes, Lord. But I'll never forget it. Sorry, Will. I didn't mean, now he's really red and yeah, he's like, attention. But I'll never forget it because we did a skit one Wednesday night. It was that very thing. He, he carried weight on his shoulder and he had a, he had a barbell and he's, he walks to the front of the stage. I think for Will's sake, it was like 405 or something. And he was in like sixth grade. Y'all see what I did there? I'm just kidding. But he walks up to the stage and it was a representation of taking the weight of your world off your shoulders and placing them at the feet of Jesus. And then all of a sudden he was headed back to his seat and his flesh took over and his flesh said, hey, hi, hi. Can God really do what you're asking him to do? And so he quickly returned back to the altar where he had just placed it, picked it back up and went right back to his seat. That's what we're all guilty of. We're all guilty of temporarily laying things at the feet of Jesus. That's not being fully dependent upon the Son of God to do what you don't have the ability to do. Take it off and leave it. I promise you there's freedom in it. But you gotta taste it to experience it. And yeah, if you lay it there today, you're gonna probably have to die to yourself tomorrow because your flesh is gonna to wanna to pick it back up. But the posture of prayer today is acknowledging who he is, but more importantly, acknowledging who we're not. And so today, if you don't know the Lord, I would, I would ask you to be obedient if the spirit is drawing you today to that. Stop trying to save yourself. Call upon the name of the Lord to do what you can't do. But as a child of God, maybe as 
you draw near to him. Be reminded that he's gonna draw near to you. But all the while, be a fully dependent upon him. You know, but maybe somebody in here can relate to David. Maybe your heart's current condition is you might be bitter at God. You might be frustrated with God. You might be angry with God. Fall on your face and ask him to give you a willing spirit. God, I'm not willing. So you're gonna have to do something in me. God, I don't even wanna open my lips to praise you right now. So God, you're gonna have to give me the strength to open my lips. Matter of fact, I've gotta be so dependent upon you, you're gonna have to open them for me. That's full dependency. Because if our worship was based off how good or how bad our week was, we're never gonna be able to worship. And so this morning, as we exalt him, remind yourself of where he's rightfully seated and you take your position according to where his is. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you made a decision or if you have any questions about salvation or anything about this Christian journey, one of our pastors would love to connect with you. So to connect and find out what your next steps are, go to our website at chestnutmountain.org slash next steps, and there will be a form for you to fill out so one of our pastors can connect with you. We also want you to do three things right now. Number one, leave a review on this podcast. Tell us what you think. And also, a review allows us to reach even more people. Number two, subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already so you don't miss an episode during the week. And number three, we want you to go check out our Chestnut Mountain Church YouTube channel. So maybe there's some visuals in this episode that you couldn't see but wanted to see. And that's why we have video versions of these episodes along with other content not featured on this podcast right now on our YouTube channel. Lastly, we invite you to join us live for worship on Sunday mornings in person at 9 o'clock or 1045 a.m. Eastern Standard Time or online at 1045 as well. Learn more about us on our website at chestnutmountain.org and don't forget to follow us on social at chestnutmtn underscore for more encouragement and to see all what God is doing in and through CMC. We love you, we're praying for you, and we'll see you next time.